Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from BBC Studios drama chiefs Martin Rakusen and Caroline Stone about their latest shows completed amid the pandemic as the company's annual showcase gets underway online and Keshet Studios president Peter Trogo on working with Universal Television and how the US studio's move to -to direct-to-consumer is changing the business. The BBC Studios showcase usually takes place in the UK city of Liverpool, but as with most events in the annual international TV industry calendar, this year's edition is happening online. The UK public broadcaster's commercial arm is offering overseas buyers the chance to meet and hear from some of the world's top programme makers and key commissioners about their very latest projects. BBC Studios Director of Drama Martin Rakusen and Director of Independent Drama Caroline Stone spoke to Ed Waller about the challenges last year presented, the shows the company managed to complete and those being offered at the 2021 virtual showcase which gets underway today. Well, I think, like everybody, we all had to pause production right at the very beginning. But I suppose what's been fantastic is sort of with the breadth of studios and our sort of the range that we have been in production from the soap. So EastEnders was, one, as we know, one of the first that was able to get back up and and the protocols that the team were able to um, employ there and also with the other productions. And we did have productions not just in the UK, but internationally as well. So not only were we having to stop them and plan them and bring them back up safely, we had to see them through. And I think everything that was paused was back up and production and there was a couple of series we very much intentionally delayed for a longer period of time because of what we required in terms of both seasons and access um, during the filming process but everything was back up in production far more in a far more complicated way than it than than it was but we're delighted that everyone was back up and stayed up safely and 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 to see as it's either finishing production or on its way to so i think on the from the independent drama side very similar experiences and we we, we've a big focus has been on making sure returning brands are in production last year so the midwife went back into production as did death in paradise which was shooting over in guadalupe and um, so that's brilliant that both those shows happened we also put a huge amount of work in this is mainly done by the producers moon asian open book into the pursuit of love one of our newest titles that went into production last summer and is due to deliver later this year so that was a huge effort to make sure that worked and that they shot that in the west country um, but we're still kind of trying to get shows working so we've got a new show called cheetahs as well that um, had to stop filming back in uh, March last year, but we got that up and going again in the autumn. So we worked hard where we can, you know, obviously making sure health and safety measures are met. Um, obviously, it's been more, there's been more costs we've had to incur, but where we can, we've really tried to get shows into production. How's the lockdown impacted things like everything from development process right through to sort of casting and pitching I mean does it all happen over Zoom has that had a, an impact on sort of that, those processes uh, yeah so I think I think on the development side I think a lot of our producers have had I mean just the last 12 months they've done so much work in development I think that's been a boom area where they've really focused and I know a lot of our producers have even met writers for the first time on Zoom and it's gone well I think everyone's getting quite used to this medium so I think that's that's been I think I would say a real growth area which is brilliant to see. Uh, I think in terms of our pitching, again, I think all of it's happening over Zoom or on phone calls, but again, I think everyone's getting used to it. And again, that's gone. I think, again, it's kind of seen to be business as usual. I don't think it's um, slowed us down in any way. I think people have, re- have kind of turned quickly to this new way of working. Martin, any thoughts on the, the impact of lockdown on all the different facets of your business from uh, development through to sort of pitching and production? It's been incredible how people have adapted and um, found ways to work in a way that we've never expected to have to work before. And 
and making those ways to connect either in the creative editorial process within the team or with commissioners or, or potential partners. But it's it's something we've all unfortunately had to get used to and find the best way to make it work, actually, and um, find ways to come together. And what about the, the UK's demand for drama from an audience point of view? Is, is that changed? Are viewers now seeking out different genres? Or I mean, obviously, they're watching more of it online and on TV, but are they changing the sort of kind of shows, the kind of dramas that they're, that they're hoping to, uh, to, to watch? It's interesting, isn't it? Is that it feels that viewers are looking for more uplifting, uh, joyful, self-affirming uh, series. But at the same time, I think what, what we've seen, even if you'll see what's on, on the schedules at the moment, is they also seek out a darn good story and almost it's sort of, we could we can convince ourselves that it's uplifting and joyful and hopeful that, that, that the viewers want to sort of escape from what's around us. But I, th- I do find that sort of great characters and great stories, they'll, they'll kind of transcend the kind of nation's mood to a certain extent as well. Caroline, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I completely echo what Martin said. I think definitely I feel there's, uh, you know, people wanting to be more entertained you know you're seeing people watching consuming so much more television than they ever have done before which is you know great for our business in many ways i know it's been a really difficult time getting shows up up into production but you know people are just devouring box sets more than they ever have done so it's wonderful to see you know the success of something like bridgerton i think is great because you're seeing people bringing a new audience into period drama we've not seen for some time i think the great has done that as well um but yeah i i think we're seeing you know more people are coming to the iplayer than they ever did before which is also great for the bbc uh, so i think it's been interesting seeing what you know people are staying with these series watching the whole thing through they've got the time to do it and caroline obviously the the independent sector which you you work with more they have their own challenges whether it's insurance all the way through to bearing the extra costs of uh, having uh, you know covid monitors on set and things like that how how are your your constituents of of independent drama producers handling the uh, the situation i mean i would say they're all handling it incredibly well i mean they have got brilliant teams in place and all our production companies you know many of them have gone into production last year and, and they're going into production this year and they're all um you know they're working really closely with their commissioning broadcaster so the BBC and ITV channel for everyone has been brilliant very supportive we as BBC studios are trying to be as supportive as possible if that's just in terms of advice um, around insurance health and safety measures as well as obviously kind of economically supporting them with the finances but yeah I think on the whole it's been difficult it's been definitely very stressful I mean, we're all in new territory, we're all learning every day. Um, but I would say they're all handling it incredibly well. And it's, it's been amazing actually to see how quickly people are pivoting and how ingenious some of the ways are getting shows back into production, you know, slightly changing the scripts to make it feel like we can shoot it in a COVID world. You know, people are looking at what they're developing more in terms of do we need to look at the story differently? You know, we can't necessarily do this on an international scale, but can we do it more locally? So I think it's it's been wonderful, actually, and really inspiring to watch how all our producers have adapted. Martin, just lastly, before we get into the show, do you reflect the realities of COVID in your dramas? Do you, I mean, or do you just treat it like it's it's not really happening Yes, I mean, I, th- I think also, I mean, it's, it's sort of as a, as a viewer on the sofa, do you, how much of that do you want reflected back into your living room? And I think absolutely sort of what you can't see on camera is everybody in masks and everybody distancing and everybody taking those protocols exceptionally seriously. But what's in the script and what is on camera invariably is is not reflecting that accurately the right, the moment, this precise moment in time. I don't think the viewers want that either, I think either. Some of the shows that you're going to be uh, showcasing to, to buyers uh, virtually uh, during BBC Studio Showcase. Let's start with something that I, I'm looking forward to, the Jimmy McGovern show. This is um, perhaps one for Martin to tell us about. Yeah, so th- this has been commissioned for BBC One. 
considering we filmed mostly in Liverpool, mostly in between lockdowns, it's fantastic effort from the team that, that we've got the series in post-production and, and at the stage it's at. And it's um, it's a hell of a story. Jimmy McGovern, as always, as you'd expect, has written an incredibly engaging, gripping, complex story with Sean Bean, Stephen Graham at the heart, Lewis Arnold, a brilliant director, filming the three hours of drama. And it's utterly thought-provoking. You can't help sit there thinking, God, it, Sean Bean's the last person that should be in this environment. It's a prison set drama. And what, what would... I'd be going through what would we be going through and and between Sean Bean's character and Stephen Graham's character they've got their own personal battles you've got uh, Sean Bean's battle for redemption with his conscience and and trying to get through that and with Stephen Graham's character it's a, it's a far more personal story it's really a, a battle for his son that's sort of he's he's found himself in an incredibly conflicted situation with his son being used as leverage against him and um, it's a utterly captivating three hours of storytelling from Jimmy I want to hear about super as well, which I think would be a Caroline show. Oh God, I'm so excited about Superho. I think it's going to be incredible. So um, we, I first heard about Superho actually just probably over a year ago now. Um, and it's um, being produced by Bonafide, um, who are quite small indie. They did the last post before, but Marjorie Bone, I think is brilliant. And she, um, so Nicole Leckie, um, it's the story that she's created. So she started it as a play in the Royal Court and she has adapted it for television. And it's really about a story about a girl called Sasha who falls into this world of sex can work and then sex work. But there's so much more to it than that. So it's about her journey in her 20s. And also she really wants to be kind of a music star. So it feels very much about people, many you know, young girls are going through this at the moment, I think, in terms of what we're seeing on Just For Fans. I think it taps into something that we haven't done, actually. We've got on our catalogue for BBC Studios. And I have to say, I think Nicole is going to be a star. She's such an extraordinary talent, amazing writer. The fact she can perform, write, sing. I mean, she's also acting as an executive producer on as well she um, she does many many things and, and we're really excited to be representing the show and this is going to hurt there's uh, something from Adam Kay maybe you could tell us about that Caroline of course yeah so this again is something I'm going to say this all the time but it's another show I love um, and this is the book Adam Kay wrote this is going to hurt so we again obviously this obviously is so um, kind of important more than ever at the moment the story about a junior doctor and working in the NHS and doing these crazy long hours if you read the book you'll know how great it is and um, we're really excited about the casting on this which is Ben Wishaw. So obviously, you know, I was classing with an A-list star um, made by Sister Pictures, who I think are one of the best production companies in the UK at the moment. Um, you know, have had huge success with, with shows like Chernobyl. So it's something, again, we're hoping will deliver very soon. And um, we've got high hopes for this. We've already had a great sell for this show with AMC in the States who are acting as a co-producer. Who wants to tell us about The Pursuit of Love? Again, yeah. So this is, I mentioned it earlier in terms of it was such a big feat to get this in production last year. So this is um, created by um, Open Book and Moon Age. And it's based on the book by Nancy Mitford that she wrote, I think, in the 19. 19- um, 40s and it's been adapted by Emily Mortimer who's best known as an actress um, but she is writing this and directing it so it's her first time kind of directing the sort of premium television drama it's for the BBC um, BBC One and it's such a beautifully written script and it's um, an incredible cast so we're very lucky to have Lily James in the lead role um, we've also got Emily Emily Mortimer is also going to star again we've got Dominic West we've got Andrew Scott I can go on and on and on but it, it does feel like something really exciting and I think it's going to be a real treat for the audience when they get to see it. It taps in again. We're seeing these period dramas really resonate more today. And I think it will attract that younger audience because it's a story really about two young girls and how they're growing into adulthood. But it's set against a wonderful backdrop. 
uh, between uh, over this over the Second World War as well. So it's a really compelling story. And Martin, I think you have a show called Smother. Yeah, that's right. And so this is um, a Kate Reardon series that we're producing for RTE, uh, starring Dervla Cohen. And um, it's shot in the most beautiful places on the west coast of Ireland. So the, the scenery is utterly delightful. And unfortunately, sort of filmed when the sun's out, and it really kind of shows off the kind of the scenery in that way. But what we've got through all the brightness is a returning uh, series with a thriller with, with um, Dervla playing a a very protective matriarch with uh, three daughters and right at the beginning of the series there's a, there's a birthday party that's being thrown for her but then the following morning her husband is found dead at the bottom of a cliff and what from there takes Val into, into that deep exploration of, of the family in, in, and their secrets to discover who was behind the murder of her husband and what we realise that the, the husband's controlling manipulative behaviour kind of really greatly affected the daughters the stepchildren the siblings and more than she's ever been aware of and it's it's a, a really twisty turny thriller that sort of kicks us off and and will air quite shortly and we hope become a, a very strong returning series for RTE. Caroline tell us about the show called Cheaters. Um, so Cheaters is is quite very different for us so this is kind of off the back of we um, partnered with Anton who we have also partnership with around um, uh, kind of investing in big budget drama and together with Anton and also Clark and Well who are one of our production companies and um, we came up with this idea around doing um, short form content so we were seeing there was you know audience were looking to kind of watch really good premium quality drama but not necessarily sit down for 30 minutes or 60 minutes an episode and Enter the Effing World which was one of Clark and Well's big hits um, that was on commissioned by Channel 4 but we got a co-production with Netflix I think are only 21 minutes in length in episodes so with the Clark and Well they were, you know they can do such an incredible uh, job around storytelling and really getting the hooks right in shorter in a shorter period. So they've developed a slate of programming. Cheetahs is the one, one of the first shows that we really all kind of responded to because it's just such a fun story. Um, it's about two couples really in their kind of late 20s and their relationship. And it's very messy, it's complicated, but it's brilliantly done. And it's shot as, as, a, as a premium drama. So it's 18 times 10 episodes. And that is um, delivering to us very, very soon. And so we have, we've commissioned it. So it doesn't yet have a commissioner attached, um, but we're looking, we're going to be talking about that a lot at Showcase this year and also kind of over the spring and summer. And um, North Water, I think that's one of yours, Caroline. Isn't it? it is, yeah. Um, so I would say, bold statement, but I think North Water is one off, if not our most ambitious drama we've ever done. It is in terms of the scale of it is huge. So it's a lot of it was filmed in the Arctic, uh, and lot, a lot of it was filmed on a boat actually in the Arctic. So incredible feat of production, and it's been made by Seesaw, and this is for BBC. And it is an event mini based on a book of the same name. And it's all set in the um, 18th century. And uh, it's about survival. The story is really about survival. And it's got Colin Farrell in the lead. More do you need? And um, Jack O'Connell as well is also starring. It's an incredible story. I've been lucky enough to see an early cut of the first episode and it's blown me away. So I'm really excited, again, for all our customers and also just for the audiences around the world to see this show. So one of those shows, Pursuit of Love, a co-production, I think you said with AMC. Tell us about how the market for co-productions between uh, the UK and the US US and, and other countries is, is changing currently. Yeah, I think it's really buoyant still. I mean, we've had huge success in this area and I think we're just seeing more and more success. You know, we work with many different partners. So um, we work with HBO on shows like Gentleman Jack, I May Destroy You, AMC, as you referenced, so this is going to hurt. And we've got a couple of other shows coming from them soon. We work closely with HBO Max, with Netflix, Amazon, um, Hulu. I think everybody looks, you know, all the, particularly the US and, 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 and the rest of the world, look to the UK as having some of the best creative talent in the world. 
And I think we're fortunate enough as BBC Studios to work with a lot of that brilliant talent. So I think there's always a demand and we're always trying to do the best creative deals. You know, we're always looking to try and bring in these co-production partners, sorry, on earlier to try and put more money on screen to make the best show we possibly can. And we're also working more, you know, trying to also bring in European partners earlier, as well as, um, you know, China and Australia. But at the moment, I think, yeah, over the last few years, I think we've seen more success in the US. Have you seen a, an uptick in the appetite for co-productions, given the, the challenges of, of, of lockdown around the world, as networks and partners team up to try and get their hands on, on content that otherwise they wouldn't be able to get? Definitely, definitely. I think I think everyone, particularly this year as well, I think people are worrying about, you know, there's slots to fill. And but also, I think, you know, people still want the best possible show they can get. You know, the quality is always so important. And I think that's what we do have in our catalogue. But um, I think, yeah, I think everybody's, everybody's struggled with last year putting shows into production. And I think we're going to see that knock on effect still this year. But I'm hoping we'll get an awful lot of shows into production this year. So we should, you know, so hopefully it'll calm down and 2022 will be an easier year. Martin, your thoughts on the co-production landscape right now? Well, exactly. I, I kind of agree with everything Caroline said. And I think, and Caroline would say the same, is that we like to be good partners and we like to work with people that allow our producers to deliver the ambitions that they're setting out to do and often as the scale of their ambitions grows the, the opportunities for partnerships expand as well and unfortunately as Caroline says we've got fantastic storytellers program makers and actors in the UK which makes that partnership stronger and I think what used to be of old which was sort of well repeated over the years is we're no longer just there to all trying to tell a different story everyone's walking in the same way and these partnerships always make for a better show it's sort of it's, it's no no longer are we in that kind of compromise place what you have to give up to partner creatively i think everybody is there is pushing for the quality and the ambition our producers want to tell and and we've seen the fruits of that over the past year and the, the new partnerships we've made recently too obviously last year wasn't just about covid it was also a year of, of streaming a lot of the hollywood studios for instance but streaming center stage and launched their own direct-to-consumer streaming services and, and retained a lot of their original productions to feed those services is that creating a, a sort of a, a space in the international market for UK programming to, to move into? Is it, is, there, is it creating opportunities for, for British productions in the international market? I, I would say yes, absolutely. I think we've seen an awful lot of success. I know it was announced about um, Star, what they're looking to commission, you know, for off to Disney Plus, and we've got House, one of our producers, have got The Good Mothers. Uh, also, I think you've seen the Netflix announcement, you know, Clark and Well had an announcement about one of their commissions for Netflix. Um, so I think we're seeing we're seeing from our production partners huge kind of growth in this area, I should say. And we're also, I think what's great is our relationships with these streamers are just getting better and better. We're understanding what they're looking for, um, you know, trying to provide those stories for them and also listening to what creatives they want to be on their platforms. So I, I definitely think it's an opportunity and we're seeing that. Yeah, and I think that's, that's right. It's sort of as well as sort of I mean, we're on the on the studio side we're in production with apple and we're in production with amazon just on the scripted side but but also what we've seen across the british production and that sort of caroline's more involved with more recently than i have but with the european broadcasters also finding those opportunities to partner with shows whether or not they're in, in in germany or france or beyond and those opportunities definitely it's going to be an interesting balance of kind of where the global partners sit and where the more uh, local partners sit and it's going to be an important mix i think do you think that the global rollout of Britbox, for instance will change 
the dynamic between UK producers and, and networks around the world, because for the same reason, if a lot of British shows are going to be kept for, for Britbox, does that hinder or impact your ability to sew together these kinds of partnerships and co-productions? I mean, I, I, I'm not close enough towards the Britbox strategy in terms of if they're going to be commissioning more and therefore what's the rights arrangement there. But as studios, the distributor, in the main, we have to, we still, we do the best role for the producer we represent. So we're not in a position where we'll be looking to, as you say, hold on to rights within a Britbox ecosystem. It's basically what's the right relationship, the right deal for that show in that market. And it's it's fairly agnostic in terms of who we do that with. I agree with everything Martin said, but I was just going to add to the fact that I think, you know, I kind of referenced it earlier. It's been such a big year for development. There's, there's so many amazing stories that I'm seeing coming through. And I think the more players out there, the better. And I think, you know, echoing what Martin said, you know, we, we want to be the best partners for our producers to support them and making sure their show reaches the right commissioning platform or broadcaster channel. So I, I don't see, I mean, I'm not as close to the strategy for Brickbox, but I don't see it as a negative. I think it's a positive, as in they'll be looking for the best stories as well and want to work probably with many different producers as well as our own. Yeah, just to add on to that, we've got Sister Boniface that's being commissioned by Brickbox in America, which is a, a fantastic returning 10-part series. So it's definitely a, a fantastic addition into the market as a, as a creative original content. So hopefully it's exciting. Just lastly, if you, if you look back on all the changes that happened because of last year's events from production all the way through to casting development everything like that some of those are going to be temporary some of those are going to be permanent what, what are the ones that are going to be permanent do you think from the production point of view well it's been interesting isn't it because you definitely have democratized geography so we've got bases all over the country and and you're either having to travel down or be on the phone or or, or or sort of always be sort of the person that's not in the room because our, our head in our case most of our people are in w12 in television center and then we've got other bases we'll be dialing in whereas now we're all here in one place and it's definitely kind of made in a way what should have always been happening whereas people used to kind of shun away from video conferencing whereas absolutely it's a comfortable natural addition to it and has made everyone feel far more connected in that regard i do miss and i think everybody else feels the same i do miss the sort of humans in a room at the same time so i think i don't think one would exclude the other i think we'll probably do a bit more video conferencing a bit more involving in one place but it would be a shame if we're not all in a room together because it's for me it's far more effective yeah i think it's so interesting to think what will stay with us what we will continue to do in a in, in moving forwards and I just think I think maybe on the drama side I can see and I've seen you know we've had to adapt to how we film how we shoot shows and I don't know the only thing I you know just thinking instinctively whether we will see more local stories that resonate um, rather than we, we we did do I mean over the last five years I say we had a big push to try and do more international stories bigger settings you know uh, I mean budgets I think will always be you know high in drama at the moment but I just I do think I've seen people wanting to tell more human stories that resonate um that have got kind of hope to them. And I, and I can see that pattern continuing. Martin Rakusen and Caroline Stone from BBC Studios talking with Ed Waller. Keshet Studios, the LA-based production arm of Israel's Keshet International, recently renewed its first-look co-production deal with Universal Television for a third term. The two companies are working on a number of series, including The A-Word and The Ties That Bind, both in development for NBC, while Keshet's busy on plenty of other projects, including an adaptation of When Heroes Fly for Apple TV+. Keshet Studios president Peter Trogo spoke with Ollie Hammett about the relationship, how the advent of Peacock and other US studio-led streaming services is changing the game, 
and the way in which the market for international originals and adaptations is shifting. So it's a first look deal with Universal, which is, you know, a version of what we've had with them for this is going into our seventh year. It's our third deal. It's just been a really, really great relationship, uh, at least from our end. I'm assuming from their end, they renewed the deal. Uh, but we just really have a great shorthand with the, with the studio as, a, as an entity, but also with the executives there from Perlina Ikbakwe, who now oversees all the studio entities under under the um, Peacock and or Comcast umbrella. And Aaron Underhill is now the head of the studio. And I could go through the, you know, to a person, the executives, we've just had a really good connection with them. And prior to joining Keshet, I had a production deal at Universal. And some of the people have obviously left that were there when I came and, and some new people have been added. But for the most part, it's the same group of people. Maybe they've, they've shifted in terms of some of their jobs. But we always, I always really enjoyed working with them and felt them not, not only from a deal standpoint, but just from a, a kind of creative standpoint to be real value added in the process. And then when I joined Keshet and Keshet had a deal with Universal, just the sort of combination of the relationships, but then what Keshet brings to the table in terms of IP and access to IP, not just from Israel, as you know, but kind of all over. Just that combination of having that big studio support with this really unique material has just been really, really fruitful for us. And you mentioned the the IP connection. How important is that IP relationship to Keshet Studios? Oh, yeah. Listen, you know, I mean, there's always exceptions to everything, right? We we just had a a series greenlit at NBC that was based on on an original idea from a writer who we had a relationship with and had worked with us on other shows. So there was no IP involved. But for the most part, just given the nature of the marketplace right now and, and, the, and the TV business, having IP is is invaluable, right? Having something, whether it's a book or a series that you're adapting or you know an article, whatever it may be, some jumping off point that also sort of demonstrates the viability of an idea is not imperative, but certainly very, very helpful. So for Keshet, we're kind of known, you know, I think we are, I mean, you, you might know better, but I, my, my sense is that we are known for having, you know, really strong IP. And hopefully, you know, people that can execute on that and all the other things that come with it, just a piece of IP in and of itself doesn't translate to a television series. But we we were able to bring some really unique ideas to the market. And I think Universal, part of why Universal enjoys being in business with us is, is for those reasons. And, you know, I'm assuming a lot of producers and, and studios have great IP. I, I think we bring unique things that you might not otherwise see. And I think that's been part of our appeal with Universal, things that they would normally take a look at a look at. And why is IP so important right now, as you said? Look, I think the TV landscape is so crowded, right? It's in some ways, it's going to where the, the movie business ha- had gone, which is there's so much product and now the movie business has changed, but where the movie business was with big tentpole type movies, franchise movies, uh, sequels, or sort of award type movies, right? There was not a lot of things in between. And forever TV had been the place where you could tell all kinds of stories. And I still think that's very true. And you can name, you know, you can go through, there's lists and lists and lists of, of great series that were, you know, not necessarily based on a big book or not starring anyone you'd ever heard of going into it. And that'll hopefully continue. But there is a sort of a leaning towards things that can break through quickly in the marketplace because there's so much product, right? And so having, you know, a big star or an adaptation that you can market around or a best-selling book that people have heard of or a brand name in terms of a producer, anything that can give you a little bit of of an edge to get the information out about your show and get people to tune in is always, you know, on the forefront. Now I think of all the buyers minds and so, and there, and therefore us as sellers too. So you're saying it's been kind of a natural progression towards more IP just due to supply and demand. Well, uh, I'm not sure I would say supply and demand. I, I would say uh, differentiation in the marketplace, maybe a better way to put it from my perspective anyway, meaning 
you know, you have, you can go through the lists of just the streamers, right? From, from Amazon and Apple and Netflix and Hulu and Peacock and HBO Max, right? And they're all vying for, you know, a similar audience. Uh, and they're all asking people to pay for that privilege. And so how do you attract people such as ourselves who are, have a lot of different options? What is going to jump out, you know, off the screen? You know, I think when Apple launched the morning show, what a great way to launch a, a new platform, right? With those three huge stars, you know, and the concept and putting aside what you good or bad, and I happen to really love it and thought it was a great idea, but even had just the awareness of that show by virtue of how they packaged it was really brilliant, right? And I think that's always on top of these platforms' minds. How are they going to get eyeballs to the screen? And from Kesha's um, point of view, what what really makes a show that can travel and be distributed globally? Well, I think there's there's two parts to that question. Or uh, one is you know things that we distribute uh, versus adapt. I think you maybe I can talk more about the adaptation, although Kesha is obviously a distribution company and we distribute our own series, but we all are our Israeli series, but we also acquire, you know, series for distribution. Um, adaptation perspective, there are certain stories that I would argue when we look at something, there are things that I go, oh my gosh, that, that idea is so unique and so specific. And I've never seen it done outside of Israel that, and it can be done on a different scale that will impact the show in a different way and, and give a different experience for the audience. That's kind of one sort of matrix or a metric, I should say that I, I lose, or it's something that is so specific to its territory, pick Israel, for example, that when we adapt it for the US audience or even for a global audience, the take is much different. And so an audience could enjoy the Israeli series and the adaptation both because they're, they're going to be very different. And I think that's become more and more important. Not only has the marketplace become more global, but the audience has become more global in the sense of, you know, you see it all the time, particularly with Israeli shows as of late. Uh, like Fauda was a great example. You know, when Fauda was first shopped as an adaptation and then ultimately Netflix said, well, why should we adapt it? It's so good. Let's just put it on our, our service. And it became very popular for them, right? So it was one of those series that uh, there's a version that might, would make sense, you know, a US version, I suppose, or a British version. But the Israeli version was so good and sort of spoke to the subject matter in such a unique and specific way that it felt like, oh, this is the best version of that show. But there's other shows where you go, we, we did this series of, I was just last year with COVID, I'm, time is very confusing. We did a show for ABC called Baker and the Beauty, which was based on an Israeli series of the same name. And the Israeli series was fantastic and it was, you know, sold to the global market and available. And I knew lots of, I had lots of friends who had seen the Israeli version having no, no having nothing to do with the fact that it worked to catch it. But then we also, when we adapted it, you know, we brought it to a writer who we would worked with previously and he had a very specific take and the dynamic, it was about a, um, a blue collar worker kid who's a, whose family owns a bakery and he ends up meeting and falling in love with a global superstar, right? And that dynamic stayed the same in both series, but our execution of it was very different. We said it Miami and it was a Cuban American family and what that dynamic was like to see a Cuban family in Little Havana and how it impacted their lives when you bring in this very wealthy, very successful, very famous person. Those specifics were very different than what the Israeli version was exploring, although the, the idea was the same. There's many things we see where we say, you know, that's a great Tehran. We had nothing to do with Tehran, but when I watched it on Apple, I go, oh yeah, why would you adapt that show? That is the best version of that show. Let's see if you can find a global audience for it because it's it's really entertaining, right? And so it's kind of the, the thought process that we go through, right? Is what it is like the best version and that's something that could relate to a broader audience. We're about to go out with something, I can't talk about the specifics, but it's a very localized story set in a foreign country. And the thought is we think the subject matter and the themes it explores are very global and very relevant to today. And so our thought is let's not let's not try to do a, an adaptation of it. Let's see if we can set this up with a global platform and hopefully get a broad audience to come see this version of 
this show. And um, on the kind of flip side of that, we've seen a trend recently of, uh, especially on streaming platforms, of acquisition of locally produced content, Spanish, French, um, well, from all over the world, Israeli as well. If this trend continues, where do you see the adaptation industry going? So I think a couple of things. One is that trend had started uh, before COVID, obviously. I think it, it became much more impactful during COVID just because people needed products. So if there were series that were finishing, that were local, so to speak, that streamers could get on their platforms, particularly the newer streamers that had just launched and needed more product, that all makes perfect sense. Whether it, it continues to that level you know, as we get back into production, I don't know. But I do think that's a trend that will continue because the audience is getting more educated and being more open. You know, there was, when I started in the TV business, you couldn't cast someone with an accent, a British accent. I literally on broadcast television, it was like, nah, Americans aren't going to embrace someone with an accent. Even if their English is their native language, all right? It's just, that was unheard of. And obviously that is done a complete 180. And even more so audiences seen now, I don't think all the audiences are sort of embracing it in the same way as of yet, but people are definitely being more open to watching things that are local in local language and watching them with subtitles or, or dubbed. So yes, it's going to, it makes the IP, the adaptation part of our business more challenging. It's kind of going back to what we started talking about. We have to really be able to rationalize to a buyer or to a writer who we're trying to attract why this show should be adapted and not simply platformed, you know, globally. And, you know, a lot of things have fallen by the, I say fallen by the way, a lot of things we've passed on adapting for that very reason. We just feel like, okay, this is a show that if it's on a global streamer, this is the version that we should present, right? Doing an adaptation is not going to bring anything new to the table. We have a project, and again, forgive me, I can't talk about it yet just because it hasn't been announced, but a project based on a Keshet format that we have set up with one of the streamers. It's, in, it's just in development now, but it was a project that we were developing concurrently in a couple marketplaces because the specific take on it, say it's a romantic comedy and the way the relationship would play out, say in the UK versus the US versus in Israel versus in Japan is very different by virtue of how people date, right? So you can imagine, even though the show was very well produced in Israel and could appeal to a broader audience, the U.S. version is going to be very specific to, we think, to the U.S. audience. The way we've adapted it, it's very specific to the writer's own personal life and their personal story. And what this person has gone through is very specific to a, a U.S. dynamic, right? So that's something you go, listen, yes, you could it could appeal to a global audience, the original, but this one is going to be, it's, it's its own take, right? It's its own thing altogether. You could watch both of them and get a different experience out of it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. So, so sometimes you're saying there's a reason for adaptation, maybe for cultural reasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are there, well, there's just any, a, sorry? Are there any other reasons? There's also this Israeli series, When Heroes Fly, which came out on Keshet a few years ago and to, to great fanfare and ratings and reviews and whatnot. And we're, we're adapting it for Apple. And the writer that we brought aboard to do the adaptation took that core idea that exists in the Israeli version and created his own completely new but for the setup, it's a completely new set of characters and story and where the show goes. It's on a much larger scale. And that's, you know, larger scale doesn't necessarily make things better, but by virtue of being on a larger scale is able to explore more aspects to the relationships and to where the story goes than the Israeli version was able to. So uh, although the, the germ of the idea in the Israeli version is culturally specific and that I guess most kids in Israel after the army go on holiday, you know, for take a year off. And But this is not that. So this has nothing to do with sort of cultural differences and more to do with the ability 
to take a really well done show in Israel and platform it in a much larger way and make the show much bigger and much hopefully, you know, not better because the Israeli one was great, but different. I'd like to talk to you a bit about, about major studios retaining their own content. How does that affect uh, your business going forward? How can you sort of fit into that vertical integration? Well, sure. I mean, it's something we talk about all the time, these sort of um, walled gardens, that that expression, you know, and you could go, you could go through it sort of buyer by buyer. Some are almost entirely closed off. Some are closing off, if you will. Some are still open, but eventually will be closed off. And for us, I think going back to sort of the impetus for this conversation and the universal deal as these um, entities, so to speak, these platforms, which are now make up not just the streaming platform that may be part of a larger company or their advertiser-driven platform or their on-demand platform, all those things are part now. I don't think that NBC is now sort of merged creatively. Everything Peacock and NBC and all the networks are all under one creative group, as as a lot of these places have already done. I'm guessing, and this is you know this is just my when I read, I don't know for certain, but I'm guessing from a business perspective, they're going to look at the aggregate of what those networks are able to the, the eyes that those networks are able to generate or the or the subscriptions are able to generate. It's not going to be NBC as a silo, Peacock as a silo, and some of the other networks as a silo. So I, I mentioned that because as that dynamic continues to evolve, I think these places are going to become more and more closed off. So for someone like us, who's an indie, but we have a deal, having a partner who has multiple platforms from which to sell is going to be even more and more important. So part of the reason why we love Universal is, you know, there's still NBC, but there's Peacock, there's Bravo, which is its own thing. There's E, there's Sci-Fi. All of those have a slightly different brand associated with them. So Hopefully, at some point, right now, and Universal is very supportive of of selling. You know, almost everywhere. There's some places they, you know, they, the deal doesn't make sense. But for the most part, they still sell everywhere. So that was also very attractive to us and and advantageous. But you know, it's hard to say. We've been talking about this for years, and it hasn't happened yet. But it's certainly taken leaps uh, in the last couple of years, in particular, as you see with Disney now. All those places are going to be harder and harder for outside studios. So being aligned with a partner that has multiple platforms is is imperative. In terms of the um, adaptations that you sell, what's the balance between sort of broadcast and streaming? Well, I can tell you this year in particular, it's probably about 20% broadcast and 75-80% streaming or basic cable or premium cable. Part of that is just sort of kind of taking advantage of what we have. Some years we have a lot of things that we feel are right for broadcast. And some years we have things that are we, we feel are more appropriate for streaming or, or, or premium cable. And part of it is this year in particular, broadcast networks still sort of adhere to a calendar, right, of backing up from May announcements. And with COVID and production being shut down, that is all sort of changed to a degree. So the networks have been buying a lot less anyway over the last 10 years. They're, they're trying to stick with series longer. You know, the difference between a hit and a, a non-hit on a ratings basis is, is, is much smaller than it used to be. Now it's obviously a, a lot about delayed viewing and about what else they're getting on their platforms, et cetera. So things are staying on the air longer than one might imagine based on just their linear rating. And then when you combine that with the broadcast networks had a lo- number of things last year that they were passionate about that then were on hold so that they're still looking at this year. They just didn't buy as much this year. And also our IP tends to lend itself to a variety of types of, of things that we get excited about. So it's really broadened beyond just the broadcast business. And by the way, I love, bro- I'm still a huge fan of broadcast television as a business and otherwise. I mean, it's, you know, it's very different than the streaming business, but I like sort of the, the calendar nature of it that you sell something, you write something, writer writes something, you get an answer in a very tight,
tight window, whether you know you're making it or you're not making it. If you're making it, then you know when it's going to go on. I, I like that. Things don't tend to languish as long, but there's challenges to it too. Is the process in streaming different then? There's just less, there's less of a time pressure. You know, once they decide, I think they're going to make something, they certainly target a window for launching a project, but it's not the same as broadcasters who, you know, up until recently were really handcuffed by May advertising presentation, right? So it just, things had to move more quickly. And by the way, there's challenges with that, obviously, right? You know, you don't have as nearly as much time to prepare to prep a show for casting purposes and everything else. And you kind of tend to rush and a lot of pilots get picked up at the same time. So you're competing for those resources. So there's challenges to it, but um, it also sort of makes the process move more quickly. They're both, you know, they're both good for different reasons. It's nice to have a little bit of, of everything. Peter Trogo from Keshet Studios talking with Ollie Hammett. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. But in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.